The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Borum. Uh, today's theme is cannabis investments, both in the medical and recreational field, and uh, what works and uh, what doesn't work. I've got with me Michael Curtis from the ASX-listed MMJ, uh, which has a particular claim to fame, and that's because it was the first pot stock to list on the ASX way back in 2015. The company uh, was known then as, as Phytotech, uh, but it turned into MMJ via a, a series of uh, corporate acquisitions and uh, divestments. Uh, to be honest, it all got pretty uh, convoluted and uh, messy at one stage, but, but uh, MMJ, it, it's, it's emerged as, as a very different beast to its listed peers um, because it's an investment play that puts its money into other uh, cannabis companies internationally, and it doesn't have uh, development programs uh, of its of its own. Now, Michael is a director of MMJ, but he's also the CEO and uh, founder or co-founder of uh, Embark Ventures, uh, which is Toronto based but operates globally. And uh, Embark actually manage, manages MMJ's portfolio. So. Uh, welcome, uh, Mike. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate uh, appreciate being here today. Excellent, excellent. Uh, just to start off, um, tell me a bit about your uh, your own history in the field, because among other things, you you founded other cannabis companies, uh, including a uh, a mob called uh, a Dose Can, which I I think was was on sold. So I was originally a clinician working in uh, the London Health Science Centre, which is a large teaching hospital in Canada. I went back to school, did my MBA, and became an investment banker globally. And I really had a sole focus on healthcare companies. So big cap pharma, big cap biotech, et cetera. And that sort of led me around the globe working in London, New York, San Francisco, and then Toronto. I was based back in Toronto and I was looking for a way to get into the cannabis industry, but I had a very clinical background and it didn't make a lot of sense until I met a gent named uh, Greg Boone and he was talking about creating a pharmaceutical-like extraction facility. We created the company called DoseCan. MMJ was the lead investor for that deal and we sold it for $40 million almost immediately after financing. Okay. Post to that, I, I became a director of MMJ at that point in time, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, okay. Okay, great. Um, and uh, it, 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 sounds, it sounds like you were involved in the clinical field uh, sort of well before cannabis became popular, you know, as a, as a listed investment. Yeah, 100%. I mean, my background is about 20 years within the clinical and uh, healthcare investment banking sector. So when I got involved with, you know, MMJ at the time was uh, was transitioning to a, a listed investment company. And the portfolio really had two companies that represented over 60% of the actual portfolio. So through the last 12 months, we've really reduced that exposure to those companies and focused on a, a number of areas where we think we're going to see the highest returns over the next 18 months. 
Yeah, okay. So you're saying you mentioned that uh, perhaps I could get you to run through the key investments that uh, MMJ uh, has. I noticed, uh, I think over time they've, they've had about 20 investments, but uh, some of them yeah. are, are divested. So we've really focused on a couple specific areas as we've deployed uh, our new money. One of those areas is, again, in the extraction space. So we are a large investor with Dosecan. We are a large investor with, with Metafarm. Both of those investments yielded uh, multiple returns for us. We've made two additional investments, uh, one in Embark Health, which is looking to become the largest extraction company in North America, and the second one in a company called Sequoia, which is an extraction company based within the European Union. Okay. This company is now the, the first EU GMP certified facility. So, so that's really been the extraction focus. And then at the same time, we've been focused on profitable brand focused companies. And we've made a few investments in that area. As well, we've just managed through with, uh, you know, choppy markets out there, making sure that all of our portfolio companies are fully capitalized and, and ready for cannabis 2.0. Yeah, okay, okay. Now, now in terms of uh, in, in terms of extraction, uh, Embark and Sequoia are, are um, uh, in that game, but uh, overall, you'll invest across the whole uh, chain, won't you, from, I guess, sort of cultivation to... Uh, to dosing a patient? We tend to avoid the cultivation side of it. That's really high capital, low return. And, and too commoditized, I presume, now. Exceptionally commoditized. And you've seen it really built out. And the first movers, because they were focused on medicinal cannabis, actually created an infrastructure that was higher cost than what you're seeing now. So you almost see the first movers in the, in the cultivation sector get penalized. So we tend to focus on the really high margin, high profitability areas like extraction and brands and other areas where we've put our money to work. Yeah, okay, okay. And just to be clear, you, you are interested in the medicinal and the, uh, the the recreational fields? Because when you talk about brands, I, I think you, you've sort of got some, some recreational brands in there as well. A hundred percent. We actually focus on anything that's federally legal. So uh, we've been able to invest in Canada and other areas where it's legal. And now we can actually invest in the United States on the CBD side uh, because it's now federally legal there. We can't yet do THC, but that's eventually going to come in the United States as it is the rest of the world. Yes. And I'll come back to the uh, US uh, regulatory angle because it's, it's quite interesting. In terms of the portfolio, uh, what you've got, MMJ has but maybe a, a, a dozen investments at the moment? Yeah, I think we have, we would call probably seven or eight that are significant investments where we think we can two to three X our probably five to $10 million investment. And then we have some other ones that are a bit smaller that we're just sort of percolating along. But we generally feel like uh, the investments we have are going to be exceptionally profitable. They're all capitalized now. And we expect to see some liquidity here over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. Okay. So in terms of what you look for in a, a cannabis investment, you actually want them to be uh, profitable, which uh, I guess sounds like a no-brainer, but you know, a, lot of, a lot of them aren't uh, in, in the earlier stages. Well, what we've seen over the last six to seven months is all of these big operations get built out with massive amounts of capital. Then the results coming in, whether it was growing or et cetera, were far under what we expected. So you're seeing this massive overcapitalization pull back dramatically. 
And really, you're only going to see the ones that are profitable or at least cash flow neutral survive through the next 12 months. Yeah. And that's why stock selection is going to be really, really important. Yeah, okay. Okay. So so do, do you expect that only a, a minority of players will survive? Well, we're really viewing this like when you see the tech bubble, for example, or you see the housing bubble, you really, you get that massive blow off top. You have the retrenchment, and again, you're starting to see it with companies like Canopy as they remove the original leader, they put in a a very financial-oriented person, you're starting to see the results in their financials coming, and now you're seeing them rationalize operations after the close today. So it's really, we're heading towards the next set of 2.0 companies that are going to be the leaders. So we're finding out right now who's going to be the next Google or who's going to be the next Facebook within the cannabis sector. Okay, okay. When you say cannabis 2.0, you're, you're sort of talking about that next stage of, of maturity. Where... Yeah, we're really... T- so cannabis 1.0 was the visionaries. It was uh, raise a lot of money to build massive grows. Cannabis 2.0 is really focusing on the areas and the profitability. So it's really a big focus on extraction. It's a big focus on any products that will be coming from an extraction. So whether they're edibles or vapes, it's really the next set of, of the, the direction of cannabis as opposed to just selling dried cannabis, which is really you know 25 to 30% of the overall market. Yes. And as, as, as discussed, it's, uh, it's just uh, commoditized and, uh, there's, uh, it sounds like there's no shortage of the stuff now in the uh, US and Canadian market. There's actually a, a big over um, supply right now, and we'll probably see a fair amount of stuff rotting. Um, there's a, a massive deficiency in terms of extraction capacity. So, you know, you're starting to see these big uh, greenhouses and outdoor grows come online, and they just really don't have the extraction capacity to to deal with all that dried cannabis. And does that does that flow through to uh, to, to medical cannabis supply? A hundred percent. I mean, within Canada, you can view rec- recreational and medicinal fairly the same because the the facilities are all regulated by Health Canada. And you'll see that, for example, within the United States, as the facilities going forward for CBD are all going to be FDA regulated. So so a medicinal product is going to look exactly the same as a recreational product, just a different patient base and a different distribution network. Yeah. And is there a lot of uh, interchangeability in the market? I mean, by that, I mean medical uh, patients, in effect, tapping the recreational market because it's uh, it's simply easier and possibly cheaper. Well, the, the, so the medical patients tend to have some sort of reimbursement and whether it's from private insurance or from, from public health care within Canada. Uh, okay. So that tends to be the more driving force for the medical patients. And then recreational, yes, there is some crossover there, but they tend to be more, um, you know, the, the typical user that you would see who's just, you know, probably a weekend or soccer mom user. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, they are a different uh, different markets still. Now coming back to MMJ's investments, uh, one of them is twenty six percent holding in um, Harvest One, which is a Canadian uh, Canadian company, isn't it? Yep. That it's uh, it's quite big, but it's been the performance has been a bit disappointing. Um, is it fair to say it's 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 been uh, been MMJ's sort of biggest disappointer and sort of biggest turnaround task? 100% it really has been and it and when we joined it was a it was a position that we inherited and was over 50% of the portfolio 
the company has uh, has built out some facilities and they got a little bit cash constrained. Okay. They've now taken a, a special committee process and we're starting to see bids coming in for a variety of the assets the company has. So we feel like the lows are probably put in the name and we feel like there's probably a fair amount of upside from here. Okay. And, and there is a, uh, a sort of turnaround strategy uh, in place. A hundred percent. So they've they've set up a special committee. So the expectation is, and they've already sold off a couple assets that they'll they'll get the cost structure in place, and potentially the entire company might trade here because the brands and the distribution network that it has are second to none. And so, despite Harvest One's performance, um, you've had a reasonable uplift in the uh, the valuation of your portfolio, and uh, therefore the sort of net asset value. Uh, of the company, and, and I'm talking about MMJ, uh, but there's a fair difference between that NAV and the uh, the value of the shares. So uh, th- th- there's quite a discount. I'm 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 just wondering uh, uh, what would be MMJ's approach to uh, narrowing that valuation gap. Yeah, so I think there's a variety of things that have led to that gap. One being just a, a really negative cannabis sector. Yes. And then at the same time, I think our investors wanted to see some clarity around the Harvest One situation. As we see that continuing to stabilize, and I think we're going to see some uh, some of our positions get some liquidity over the next 6 to 12 months, that's when you're going to see this, this discount to NAV continue to close. And we have been really tight before in terms of a sort of 7 to 8% discount, and we expect to get back to that again. And at the same time, I think what you're really going to see is the just NAV in general uh, growing dramatically over the next 12 to 18 months as these investments come to fruition. Okay. Traditionally, you've uh, you've been on a modest discount of about, as you say, 7 to 8%. Uh, and, and, and what's the discount now? It's almost 50%. Uh, so really, there's not a lot of downside for our investors. We, you know, don't need to do a lot of things right. And if the market continues in the direction we think as we get through this choppiness, we'll, you know, probably see some very strong returns here. We're hoping it, it's it's sort of like a half price sale on, on Boxing Day, isn't it? Because uh, investors can, um, yeah, buy buy the assets for fifty uh, percent less less than what they're worth. Well, you know, from our perspective, you've seen a lot of negativity within the cannabis sector here over the last six months. And specifically within this portfolio, there's been a a 50% position that looked like it was uh, having some significant issues. It's clearly getting sorted out. The cannabis sector looks like it's bottomed and we're starting to see some of these names uh, react pretty well. So yeah, we're we're pretty comfortable. I think this is a good spot to to start to, to invest in the name. And uh, I wanted to uh, come back to uh, the the US and, and and the federal regs. The cannabis is legal in a lot of states now. I think for thirty something at last count, but federally uh, it hasn't been. As as you say, it is now for CBD for cannabinoids, but but not the CBD with the uh, the THC, which is the uh, the, the whoopee weed element, if I, if, if I can call it that. <laughs> so I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering whether you are uh, whether you're sort of hanging out for reforms uh, and uh, do we need a change of administration, perhaps? Well, our view is that uh, it's a good entry point for us. We can set up extraction facilities within the United States on the CBD side. We're starting to see the FDA talk about federally mandating CBD. We think that the requirements for the facilities there are going to be generally pharmaceutical grade health health Canada standards. So 
we're comfortable building similar facilities down there. Once the FDA gets the handle on the CBD side, we think that they'll make THC federally legal. And our guess is it's probably the next two to five years. Um, as you say, we've got about 30 of the states now that are, are statewide legal for THC and CBD. So I think it's going to be tough for them to stand in the way of it for too much longer. Sure. But uh, the, the FDA, the, the Food and Drug Administration, might, might take a bit of uh, convincing. Is that is that fair to say uh, that they've adopted a fairly sceptical stance and, and want more, more clinical evidence? Well, so what they've come out with originally, probably a couple months ago, was they had came out with a quite a sceptical stance. Then they since have come out and they've closed down some of the extraction facilities. But within the last week, they've come out and they're starting to talk about what good CBD is and what CBD regulated by the FDA is going to be. So we're going to get rules and regs just like a pharmaceutical company would, and you're just going to have to work within them. And And it's good for, for all sides because it's good for the consumer because they're going to be getting a guaranteed product. And they're good for, for the regulator because they can come in at any time and see these facilities that are pharma grade. So it's just a natural progression as this industry comes out of the gray market and into the, you know, into the light. Yeah, okay. If sort of quite hypothetically at this stage, the um, the Democrats were to, to, to get the presidency, uh, uh, do, do you think that would make a big difference? Um, I don't think, I think there's some Democrats, for example, that were very anti-cannabis and some Republicans the same. But I think, you know, the, the standard line is going to be we're always moving forward and never backwards. So we expect to see continued uh, reduction in the legislation around it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, in, the, in the meantime, the company's just um, launched a, a share purchase plan to raise $5 million. What are these uh, proceeds earmarked for in, in particular? Yeah, specifically what we've seen over the last few months is extremely attractive pricing from a variety of companies that we just didn't think we could get these valuations or the structures. So we want to take advantage of grabbing the capital um, at this discount because we think we can make probably a, a multiple of, uh, of our investment over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay, so this would be for new investments? 100%. Our existing portfolio companies are all capitalized now and they're very stable. So we're not particularly concerned about them at all. Any particular interest in, in say, the, uh, the, the extraction field? Well, I think what you're going to find is, is MMJ has you know, led and uh, a number of these big extraction companies. We've seen a, almost a 3x return on Doscan, a 5x return on Metafarm. We've got a massive investment in Embark Health, which is almost $13 million. So assuming we do some sort of return with that, that alone is going to uh, is going to pay for the existing NAV. And there's lots of other interesting companies in here. So, you know, again, great time for investors. Okay, terrific. So in other words, you're just taking advantage of the, uh, the fairly subdued conditions in the sector. 100%. Yeah, okay. And, and uh, Michael, what else should investors uh, look out for in the near future? Well, I think we're probably going to see some stability here over the next little bit as the coronavirus uh, uh, media sort of lessens. We think that 2000, the end of 2020 is going to be reasonably okay for cannabis stocks, but I think investors should really be setting up for 2021, which is what we believe to be a gangbuster year. Yeah, okay, okay. So it's a pity there's no uh, uh, there's no known uh, uh, cannabis based uh, 
uh, cure for uh, coronavirus. But uh, I, I, I guess we should live in hope. <laughs> Only time will tell. <laughs> okay, terrific. Well, Michael, uh, valuations in the sector might have gone to pot a bit, uh, so, so to speak, but uh, there's obviously still a lot happening uh, with MMJ and uh, good prospects for investors with, with a longer-term view. Th- thanks very much for the chat, Michael. Thanks for the time, Tim. Look forward to uh, doing it again. Excellent. Excellent.